Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Welcome to episode 25 of the show. After our UK Quidditch discussion in the last episode, we now return to our usual format, focusing on the people that make Quidditch so great. And I'm delighted to be joined by today's guest. In this episode, I'll be talking with one of Europe's star beaters and overall best players, a staple of the Norwegian national team. This player was not only selected as one of a handful of European players in last year's eighth man all-time fancy fancy draft, but she was also selected as the first overall pick in the total Quidditch European all-time fancy fancy draft a few weeks later and was on the team that won that hypothetical virtual tournament in the end. They're a real testimony to what she's achieved in the sport uh, to be held with such high regard by her peers. She's an inspiration to many and it's a pleasure to speak with her today. Meta Sundar, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Fraser. Uh, happy to be here. It was a great introduction. <laughs> Glad I, uh, to hear it. How, how's it yeah, going? It's uh, going well. I mean, uh, lockdown is uh, almost uh, over now and uh, we get to go back to playing and uh, playing tournaments. Yeah, sort of a, a bit more free. <laughs> so That's probably definitely. the best way to put it. So, I don't know, I only kind of follow the UK situation, but I'm kind of seeing little pockets of activity across Europe and it's all starting to look quite encouraging. <laughs> yeah, I think the vaccination is like so high in Norway right now. Uh, so it's uh, looking very good. I don't think we're going to go into any more lockdowns. At least I have my fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Touch wood, all of that. Um, we're going to completely derail this Quidditch podcast and talk about a shared passion that we have. As anyone who knows me knows that I also play a sport called round net or spike ball, something you may have heard of. And Meta, you played in your first ever round net tournament last weekend at the Norwegian Championships. So I... how, how was the experience for you and how did you get into playing round net? Uh, I did. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, but it was all very like small scale. It was like uh, Norwegian tournaments, so I think uh, there was like three divisions uh, with uh, the women's division, uh, beginners, intermediate, and then advanced class. So uh, I signed up with uh, Merlin to uh, play in the beginner intermediate uh, class, uh, and uh, we got fourth place. So we were very happy That's with nice. that. And yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It's like very easy to get to going with Roundnet. You can like always play in the park and started playing uh, during the pandemic. I think in uh, like 2020. Mm. So we went into lockdown, but in the summer it opened more up and you could like travel a bit around. So Lisa and Jürgen from Ent and I was like playing uh, Roundnet and brought it along uh, on their vacation when they traveled through Norway. So we got to like try it out and we we're like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Like, we want to play this more. And mm. then, uh, yeah, we signed up for a national championship uh, when it happened. Just, like, <laughs> test it out and, like, try competing in it, too. And it was very interesting, because before that, we always, like, played the same people. So mm. to be able to, like, play completely different people with different playing styles was, like, very interesting and cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, I feel like throughout the pandemic, like, I think Roundnet's done really well like as an emerging sport because obviously with I don't know in, in the UK we've had things like the rule of six and like a limit on the number of people you can meet up with um, but obviously around that all you need is four people to play and then you can spend an hour or so having fun playing a sport 
Whereas like with Quidditch, obviously you need a lot more equipment, a lot more people. Uh, so I think it's been great for that. And yeah, as you said, like you get used to playing like your mates and kind of their tendencies and go, okay, this this person's got a really fast serve. I'm going to be ready for that. Or this person likes to take a drop shot. And then you go to a tournament, you're like, you have to work out those tendencies on the fly. It's definitely a lot of like new types of serve that we saw. And uh, it was also a lot of fun to watch the advanced class, like the ones playing on uh, some of the highest levels that they're mm. also going to compete in the World Cup in Belgium. Yeah. Uh, that's coming up. And they were like, they were so crazy good. And the way they like switch sides for the serve, they look like kind of like a robot. It was, uh, yeah. it was crazy to watch them. <laughs> yeah. Like you just watch some of those guys and you're just like, man, I wish, I wish I had those skills. It, it's very different from Quidditch for like people that haven't seen it. Like, I'd say round nets is it's like a very highly technical sport where like it's all about your hand-eye coordination, like your placement, where you're setting the ball, where you're hitting it. There's a lot. There's a lot more sort of room for well, there's a lot less like margin for error than say with Quidditch, I think. Yeah, definitely on the higher levels, I think. But on the lower levels, uh, you get to play a lot more, and like people make mistakes and put it up easy, so you can, like play it back and forth like a lot of times. Mm. What's uh, how a few of our matches went to? Yeah, true. I also find like on like a more, I guess, general level, it's really interesting, kind of fascinating to kind of compare, obviously, all of what we know playing Quidditch and kind of playing the top level of this sport and then sort of joining a new emerging sport and kind of comparing, contrasting, seeing, I don't know, in some areas, Quidditch is definitely ahead of round net and then in other areas, round net, it's definitely ahead of Quidditch and kind of seeing what that's like. Yeah, that's true. I think it's still like a lot of grassroots. Like this is the first national championship I've heard about in Norway. I mm. think uh, someone came from the US or something and brought it along. I was like, okay, I'm going to start a tournament. I'm going to keep playing my sport. And uh, now it's getting bigger with the national teams and everything. Yeah, I actually think I know that guy. <laughs> oh, really? Let's go. Yeah, I, I, I feel that she went on to the European Championships a few years ago. And uh, there's a few Norwegians there. There's, I, I do remember playing an American guy who, uh, yeah, he, he he kicked our asses. Like, yeah, yeah I, I I'm definitely a much better Quidditch player than a round net player, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 same for me. Same for me. There's still so much enough. Yeah, a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to bring my set along to tournaments now and uh, sort of hoping that other people would like to kind of play in between games. That's quite a big thing in like the Ultimate Frisbee community as well. Oh, yeah. yeah that's uh, cool. Then they're very similar to uh, our sport, too, with like uh, being very university-oriented. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of... They're all kind of connecting with each other. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think I might like save it for uh, the end of tournaments. Because uh, after like a full day of playing like yeah, around that, I was so sore. <laughs> the next few Already? Days. Yeah, yeah, I didn't <laughs> expect it, but uh, I think I was like so much down in like squat position all the way, so I got like really tired from uh, that tournament day. Yeah, it's quite deceptive. Like when you play with complete new pe people, like they get the idea that, oh, you stand like there's a server there, there's a receiver there. The teammates kind of, you kind of in that kind of, I guess, plus shape around the net. But then like people don't realize they have to move. And then when you get to tournaments, like you, you learn that pretty quickly. You got to, and sort of like little sprints here or there and diving to the floor and yeah. Sort of yeah. Of fast work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so much like footwork and being like uh, good to get down. So I was like throwing myself so much on the floor too. I was like, okay, next time I'm bringing my uh, knee uh, braces. 
some uh, padding. Yeah, definitely. I've seen a few people use those. Uh, w- would definitely recommend, especially play indoor. Which I'm, I'm not a fan of personally, but uh, yeah, they're definitely useful there. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can't imagine. We played on artificial grass, so uh, there was also like, quite a few burns at the end of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Awesome. Well, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope uh, other people have enjoyed talking about Roundnet as much as we have. <laughs> um, but we're we're going to get back to Quidditch because that's why we're here. Um, and yeah, kind of take things back to the beginning of your time with with Quidditch. Uh, so how did you get into the sport? Kind of what kind of sporting background did you have before you started playing? So I got recruited by two friends uh, who played on the UIO team and I also studied with them and worked with them in the like student cafe and they were like oh yeah you should come along to a practice and they like explained like the handball, dodgeball, uh, uh, rugby uh, part of the quidditching and uh, said like they were always like looking for new people that could come and join the sport. And I had also seen it being played once before uh, when my football team traveled to uh, Minnesota to play in a football tournament. We could see like the university team there like playing some Quidditch. So I was like, ah, that actually looks quite fun. And uh, yeah, so I showed up to the introduction practice and uh, like, yeah, I met like uh, Elizabeth who like guided me a bit on like yeah, how to beat. Because in the beginning I was just like running all over the place, uh, just like beating everything that I could see. <laughs> And then she was like, oh, yeah, we actually go in, like, offense and defense. I was like, okay, I'm just not going to run around and beat everyone. I'm going to, like, come back to defense. That's fine. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, from there, I was just hooked. And I started showing up to, like, all the practices. Okay. I, I like how there, essentially, like, you were recruited because you saw it as a sport. And, like, you always find with people who join Quidditch, there's, like, people who join because they're like, oh, that's the thing from Harry Potter. Yes, that's that's it. But I guess the way you are sold, oh, it's got this element of this sport in, and this bit and this bit. And obviously, you'd seen a bit of it yourself over in Minnesota. And yeah, I, I find that quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I was also a Harry Potter fan, though. So. Yeah. I was also uh, part of the fun coming to join. Mm, it's kind of like, I guess, like a bonus as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just like to test something new out. Uh, I think it's like yeah, always fun to try different sports. Uh, yeah, and my sporting background is from football. Mm-hmm. I briefly mentioned with like the tournament in the US. So I um, I played football since I was like seven, eight years old, and I still play today, like uh, on a women's team to like keep the skills up. And I also majored in uh, sports in high school. Mm-hmm. Since, uh, yeah, in Norway, when you go to, like, high school, you can, like, choose a specialization, and I chose to do, like, sports. So I would, like, train five to seven team times a week, uh, and we would also go through, like, uh, different sports, not just, like, your main sport. You would do that, like, two to three times a week. I would, like, play football uh, in a mixed class with, like, boy, uh, both girls and boys. Yep. And then with the class, we would also, like, learn a sport from the beginning. So we would do, like, volleyball, and we would do handball, and... We'd do like cross country skiing, like swimming, all kinds of different things. And we'd also always like start with the basic, like, okay, this is how you throw the ball in this sport. This is like how you move and uh, how you do like very simple things. And at the end, we would maybe like do a bit of playing and get into the games and have like physical tests. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I got in really good shape like over those uh, three years in uh, high school. 
Okay, that's quite interesting. I guess sort of talent at many different sports and uh, yeah, you just kind of turned your hand to Quidditch and yeah, just kind of ran with it really. I'm quite curious as you you mentioned that you still play football now. So how do you balance that with Quidditch? Sort of like, is football kind of like your, I guess, like you still do it because you enjoy it, but as like Quidditch, like your serious sport, like how do you balance that? Quidditch is my serious sport. Uh, so the the change really happened after I went on the exchange. Uh, before, uh, and that was like I played for half a year with Quidditch and just like like testing it out. But football was like my main sport as I was also like a captain on my football team. Uh, mm. Then I left for like half a year to go away and be on exchange and uh, like World Cup happened and everything. And when I came back, I was like, OK, I'm prioritizing like uh, Quidditch. Like this is going to be my main sport. I really love playing it. And uh, football got like second place. I think it's really underrated how, like, obviously people kind of prioritise Quidditch, but also playing another sport alongside it is just going to complement your skills. And, like, with football, obviously, it's a lot of kicking, but I guess, like, the movement and obviously, like, the amount, kind of, like, it's lots of sprint and then stop, sprint and stop. So it's quite similar to beating in many ways. Yeah, definitely. And, like, uh, I started out also as a keeper in football. Yep. Uh, I had five years with being a keeper, which is a lot about like making the right decision at the right time. And you have like a lot of pressure on your shoulders because if you make a mistake, that's going to lead to a goal for the entire team. Like it's so high stakes uh, with the decisions that you make. Uh, and I would also always like, I'm not the tallest person. Like I'm uh, 164 like centimeters. Uh, so uh, I couldn't like cover all of the goals. So my like way of solving that, I would like just like run out and get into their feet. And use like uh, my speed. Mm. But then you have to like time it very precisely. So the moment you see they kick the ball a bit too far from them, you run in and go and grab the ball. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to talk about. Um, so as you mentioned, you started playing uh, Quidditch with OSI Vikings in Oslo. So kind of how would you describe OSI's approach to Quidditch, and how do you feel the club has like I guess how, how has it changed over time? Is it still kind of the same as when you started, or yeah, what's that like? I think when I started, there was like a shift happening uh, where they started out like, oh yeah, it's fun to play and it's going to be like a team just playing for fun. Uh, but then they got more players who wanted to play more competitively. So some of the players who were there for fun uh, left the team, I think. Uh, and then later when I came back from my exchange and like joined the board and stuff, that's uh, I think when the team really took off uh, in Oslo. So we managed to recruit enough people uh, that year that we had two teams. And then we could like more balance the fun and the competitive side. I think that was like very good for the club. And I think like tactic wise, we haven't been known for being that good at passing. <laughs> so uh, we've been very relied on like driving and uh, like uh, people who are good at like judging through and shooting on the golf. Uh, and having like strong beaters to make a line. Uh, for the chasers to drive it in and uh, yeah I think it's like yeah became better with the passing over the years uh, see it more and more and more focus on it also because we go more through the fundamentals and teach like everyone how to pass from the beginning mm. um, so uh, we'll see how they play now next time <laughs> when uh, we meet them we shall see we shall see um, these always look like enjoyable team to play with um Obviously, I'm, I'm good mates with uh, with Jacob, uh, who's 
yeah. a lot of fun. I, I dread to think what he makes uh, people do in training. Um, but yeah, he's, he's oh, yeah, a great yeah. guy to be around. Yeah, yeah. He uh, definitely like uh, made some change, I think, when he became the coach. I think if you just say sorry during practice, you have to do five push-ups. <laughs> this kind of became like a joke in the Norwegian society uh, because Anthony and then said that, oh, we only have a voluntary push-ups. <laughs> and there was like costumes where everyone is like doing uh, voluntary push-ups while we have mandatory push-ups for uh, saying sorry. It's, mm. uh, it's a very good spirit um, in general. But, yeah. uh, there has been some struggles too with uh, having like uh, uh, two teams in the club and someone I focus on fun and someone I focus on the competitive side. Especially mm. when you go to tournaments and you're just stacking the right amount of players and you're trying to like get two viable teams uh, up and running. And how are you going to place people like yeah, people on different teams depending on like what they want to play and if they want to play like competitive or fun and then still having to balance like gender also and everything so you get like enough on both sides. So yeah, I def- think yeah, yeah. Our B team struggle with uh, getting males sometimes. I think. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's it's quite difficult getting that balance. And I'm sure it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Oh, I do really like that that thing with the, the push-ups though. Because like you think about it from like a mental perspective, it's kind of a case of like when you're at training, like that's the time to make mistakes and like to learn from the mistakes that then when you play in the tournaments, you don't make them. So I guess it's kind of getting used to the idea that, oh, I tried something. It didn't work. Okay, how do I do that better for next time? Right, okay. And then you kind of build from there. Yeah. And like mistakes happen, then you don't need to like say sorry every time like a pass goes wrong. Like just focus and try to like get it right next time. Yeah. And if you say sorry, then you really mean it, and then you can take the push-ups too. Like if you really knock someone down super hard, and you're like, oh my god, sorry, then <laughs> do the push-ups too to show like you really mean it this time. True, true. Uh, yeah. So you you either get sort of I don't know, you get very big arms, or yeah, you just learn to. Yeah, kind of learn to have a good attitude and approach towards towards training. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting to see how often like people say sorry, and when you like start to have like think about it and stop yourself from saying it. Uh, but I think it's like a good shift. Not, mm. uh, yeah, not say you... sorry every time something's go wrong. <laughs> True. Do you you mentioned the play style there? Um, I'm quite curious about that. You said you're quite drive heavy as a team. Like. Would you say part of that is like dictated to you by like the weather conditions you play in? Because like I know within the UK game, like I guess that's kind of what a lot of teams are known for as well. Um, mainly because I mean it rains all the time here, so we can't practice our pretty passing and all of that. But obviously Norway kind of there's there's lots of great like handball players and sort of people quite good technical skills. So yeah, what would you say on that? I think all the handball plays went to NY. <laughs> yeah, there's almost like no one in UIO. I think we have like a handball background. Like, uh, they have like a background from different sports. I think that's also made like the passing more difficult. Uh, we we definitely sometimes do like better when it's like muddy or rainy because we're like, oh, we know how to play in these conditions. Like uh, this is how we usually play. Yeah, exactly. Like there's certain teams that go, oh no, like the weather's awful. Like and they have to really like adapt their game. But Samsung's like, oh, great. Like, this is just the same. Let's, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Or at least we know how to play this and other teams don't. So we're like, we have an advantage in this game because of the weather, which is uh, nice sometimes. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so you kind of mentioned there, um, NTNUI, uh, who are the other big team in Norway. Um, so sort of within Norway, there's been this great rivalry between the two teams, OSI, Vikings, NTNUI, Rumpeldunk. So how would you describe the relationship between the two teams? And like, of all the matches you've played between each other, which has been plenty, which would you say was like the most memorable, enjoyable encounter for you? Yeah, that's a lot of good questions. I think uh, our relationships are kind of like sibling-like. So we have a very good tone because we also play together every time on the national team too. Uh, at least a lot of like the players who've been around for a long time know each other quite well, even if we don't play on the same club team. Uh, so when you have to work together with someone that you also play against, it helps to create a better bond, I think, than if you only compete against them. And uh, yeah, uh, I think like they have been like the big brother team, kind of, because they usually like beat us most of the times we play them. Uh, but in the later years, it's uh, become like more even, I think, where it feels like we have more of a chance to beat them, which I think is like way more fun. So I've enjoyed like the last few times we met them when we won. Uh, and also because I don't like losing, so uh, <laughs> I don't remember that much from like the old games. I was just like, no, I don't want to remember all the times we lost. Um, and the meme wars has been like quite fun, so, like to have this uh, kind of banter before the big tournaments and get all like uh, yeah, all the remarks. And then when we meet them, it's uh, quite friendly. And I think it's also become a bit better to play them now that there's like three really good teams in Norway and not just two, because then we also have like uh, better refs. To assist in the match, which has been a problem sometimes when we get really new people who have to be like head ref in like the final that's going to decide like who gets the best AKC spot. And uh, like the player is yelling at this new ref, which is just like, oh no, why am I here in this final? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think that's been like a challenge uh, in the earlier times when I met. And then people are like mad about the ref calls and all this like small thing that happens. Um, mm. But it's Better now with uh, Sagna that can like go in between and uh, rest in the final, which they have done for the last two years, and they have like so much experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see uh, this year. I think uh, this year it's gonna be Sagna and Antonai in the final. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. From I guess an outsider's perspective, I guess that sibling relationship is. Like, that's what it looks like to me. Um, I think it's quite interesting because obviously you mentioned, like, a lot of the players the national team come from these two teams. So it's kind of a case of, I don't know, when you're playing together, um, Norway, you're kind of playing together and giving each other tips and advice on how to get better and how to win. So I guess in many ways, like, you know very well how they play. They know very well how you play. Um and yeah, sort of trying to break each other down and trying to introduce new things. Yeah, but that must be quite difficult. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, I think the only reason like it's been going easier for us lately uh, is uh, because Armin switched to chasing too. So I was I got like an edge in the beater game, just like changed up the game. But then uh, and today it's been doing really well on their passes. And going into like more square formation, so they're bringing that more to Norway, where like they mm. pass around to find an opportunity and then they go in and take the shot or take a lo really long shot. I mean, Steen is crazy at doing uh, shots from a long range, like uh, difficult to uh, defend against. 
Yeah, it's kind of a case of you you kind of develop well one one of the teams develops a new tactic and it's like secret for a little bit and all of a sudden nope, it's not a secret anymore. So Yeah, that's true. Everyone like knows with, about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With like the triple and things happening like, in the beta game. It's like a secret for one tournament and then you know and then you teach it to each other when you meet for national team practices. So it uh, doesn't so you can like keep the tactics for yourself for like several years. I'm not sure if like that's the case in the UK, but in Norway it's like okay, now we've done it for one tournament, so now we can share it with the others. Yeah, I, I think it is quite similar in the UK and sort of certainly in other countries as well. But obviously, because there's a few more teams, it's a little bit more spread out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to talk about that that, that dynamic between the two. I think uh, yeah, last uh, fun tactic that we tried to do was uh, also open in 2019. Uh, on the brooms up, uh, we had uh, me, Sign and uh, Merlin, so that all could be, and uh, do that on brooms up. And, and tonight it's always like switching around because I want to get like Omni in to get like uh, the main dodger and then uh, take the duel on the other side too. And we we're like, okay, we want to try to get like one free dodger that we can use to like defend with so they don't get the counter attack. And then we had like extra headbands. So we would try to just like instead of running to like switch places, we would just like flip our headbands and change <laughs> positions. So any of us could end up as keeper or like beater, just depending on where they ran. And we just had to do it before like Broom Sam. And we we're like, oh, this is the next big tactic. <laughs> yeah, I and suppose they, it, it kind of yeah. allows, well, I guess you need to have like a decent skill at like both chasing and beating. But if you can pull it off like that, I think that's genius. Uh, except now they change the brooms up, so we don't get to try it out in uh, Europe, but it would have been fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> to bring uh, it to Ekisa 2020. Yeah, but speaking of Europe, um, OSI are frequent uh, well, fre- frequent visitors at the um, European Quidditch Cup, um, quite accustomed to playing at that level. So for you, like, what has been the most enjoyable thing about playing within Europe um, and which would you say is your favorite EQC as a whole? Yeah, I think it's been great to be able to go and travel to an international tournament. It's something I missed a lot from um, playing football because when you reach a certain age, uh, as we do as adults, we just go and play like the neighbor. Like the team is maximum like 30 minutes away and you just play them and then you go home. And uh, with Quidditch, you have an opportunity to travel with all your friends and mates and uh, go and explore a new country and meet all these teams and like the atmosphere is so friendly so you like always like talk to the pond afterwards and maybe you change jerseys or um you like uh, decide that you're going to play like a fancy tournament at a later time with like someone uh, that you played against and it's been a lot of fun yeah great to like meet people from all over europe and uh you'd feel like playing a sport i really love and uh, i think yeah my favorite exercise is probably uh, the last one that was held in 2019. Uh, because it feels like a lot of things were working out that exercise, which we had like some troubles earlier year, either um, not making it to upper bracket as in uh, 2017 or in uh, 2018 we made it to upper bracket, but uh, then we lost a lot of matches. So that was like kind of bad way to end like the tournament. Uh, 2019, we managed to like get all the way to the 10th place, which is uh, quite a lot of fun. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, uh, yeah, I guess with obviously the way Norway is and kind of the teams that you have, like 
in terms of qualifying, like you kind of know there's a pretty good chance you're going to be going to the EQC every single season. So like there's a lot of, you can kind of focus on that quite early on in your season and then obviously enjoy the experience while you're there. And yeah, it's been kind of interesting following OSI over the years because obviously at points they can really kind of push like the elite level teams and kind of get a few wins here or there. But they've always kind of been like in that middle ground where it's kind of like sort of top 16 and then kind of like, I don't know, top the lower bracket or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting to see. Yeah, we definitely struggle with consistency. I mean, we get a lot of exchange students in on the team. So it's, uh, the team has changed a lot from year to year with just like a core remaining. So I think like the beta core has been like the most uh, stable throughout the US years in EQCs. At least since I started playing FQC in 2017. I was uh, away for the 2016 month. Mm, yeah, definitely. I really like how in like the last sort of few years of EQC, like it's not a case of like when you're out the top, you're out, out, like you get to play like the the consolation games. And I think especially for you guys, like if you're traveling, I don't know, to like Italy or somewhere, you've spent, I don't know, many uh yeah you, you spent like a lot of time and effort and money traveling there only to like finish like get knocked down the round of 16 you're like oh great we get to play all these extra games as well and just kind of still advance through the tournament like that i think that's been a great addition to the competition over the years yeah definitely and i mean uh, and in 2017 we like ended up in the lower bracket then we also managed like go all the way in the lower bracket and win in the end so it was like it was a good feeling to end on a win even yeah, if we, exactly. Like, messed it up a bit on day one. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of make make up for that, and uh, yeah, finish on a high. Um, so kind of looking at Norway um, as a whole, like, what kinds of challenges does the country face in terms of Quidditch, and what would you like to see improved once you return to playing again? I think one of the biggest challenges is that we are a small country, and we struggle a lot to recruit uh, Norwegians. Uh, in um, the Norwegian Quidditch sport. Well, most of the times we have like a lot of extensions coming in and then they leave and go and play somewhere else. And there's like two really big teams with, uh, or now three, with Sagne, uh, Osai and Antonai. But they're all based like in Trondheim and Oslo. And it's been hard to like get teams started in other places. Uh, get like someone going there and then finding enough people who um, like try and... Uh, get started with the sport but there's like yeah, one in Bergen too which is also like struggling with recruitment and I think especially now that it's been locked down for so long and no exchange students were coming in uh, so yeah and I think for uh, Sagna it's like uh, also struggle with uh, recruitment and they can't just go to university because they're like a community based uh, team um, but this year we've like actually managed to recruit quite a few so hopefully we won't have to play a tournament with just like 9 or 11 players and we yeah we went for like yeah international people still though so people who moved for uh, to Norway to work uh, coming from different countries and then looking for like a network and hopefully like also a place to meet other Norwegians so hopefully like that can uh, continue to be like a selling point for us as a community team and we can get more players that way because recruiting Norwegians can be very difficult we have a lot of like conformity in Norway where people don't want to stand out too much. So if they view the sport as too weird, uh, they don't want to try. 
Like, yeah, I've also tried trying to see if I can get some of the, my teammates from the football team to come and join. But they're also like a bit like, oh, no, this sounds a bit too weird for me. Like, yeah, I don't think I can do it. And the stick looks weird. And uh, maybe if it didn't have like the brooms. So I think that's keeping a lot of people from trying it. And also because you get some attention when you like play. I think most people have ever have held like a, a Quidditch practice in a public park. Knows how like people go past, you know, kids yelling like, oh, are you Harry Potter? Uh, <laughs> Like, yeah, Quidditch. Like, what are you playing? And, like, so many looks. And some people, like, filming in secret. I think that also makes it more difficult for some people to try if they don't like to stand up. Um, we'll see how it goes. As long as, like, the core is uh, motivated to keep going uh, of, like, players who play for a long time, I think it's going to be fine. But I'm not sure it's going to be easy to expand the sport in Norway, though, like they have in the UK and Germany. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's a very interesting time for the sport as a whole because obviously the way the world's kind of been shut down it's kind of a case of a lot of these kind of a, well a lot of quidditch teams haven't had that usual kind of turnover of players coming in and out because obviously people haven't been moving around and people haven't been allowed to get out and play sport um so yeah trying to get things started up again it's kind of a case of who's who's still around and maybe, I don't know, who, who's maybe quit the sport previously and decides they want to come come back and sort of do something having been stuck inside for so long. I think it's, it's a really, like, difficult and challenging time for, for us, but also interesting to see what's going to happen and how, how we're going to cope with it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, uh, the hardest part in Norway for, like, teams have been for the high school team, the cuppa team. Uh, which has been good for like recruitment up to university levels later because they missed like two years, which is a lot for the high schoolers because that means suddenly there was no one left to teach uh, the other students how to play Quidditch because they graduated and left during lockdown. Uh, but some of them actually came to like uh, our practices now and want to like try to get it started again. So it's good to see that some people uh, are like taking uh, responsibility and stepping up and trying to get the sport expanded. Yeah, definitely. And like as you you mentioned there, like that I guess Norwegian mentality of like not wanting to stand out and kind of make a seed and sort of be seen as a bit odd. Um, I think yeah, if you have like a high school team, I think that's fantastic in terms of sort of normalizing the sport and kind of playing the game at a lower level. Because the thing is, like people at the moment with Quidditch they kind of discover it at like a later point in life where they're already like fully formed adults they have an idea of the sports they like the sports they don't like what they think is a sport what they don't think is a sport and then if you suddenly throw Quidditch their way like oh what what more nerves that and obviously some people like, like ourselves gotta go yeah great let's give it a go and then others like no they're yeah what on earth are they doing no thanks like I'm just gonna go about my day and uh, forget about it um but yeah, I think kind of the more you normalise it at that level where people are still working out who they are as people um, and sort of discovering new things and new sports and whatever else, I think that's kind of the way forward eventually. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like the earlier you get it, the better. So, uh, But I don't think there's like a lot of kiddish going on in Norway either, which is interesting to see in other countries. That might make uh, like it more normal to go and mm. play Quidditch. Not just like something weird university students do, but also something that you've seen like uh, kids go around and play with. 
Yeah, that, definitely. I think it's one of the things that, as a community, we need to focus on a bit more um, and kind of get it into schools, get it sort of get it a bit more organised because it's kind of been a case of like there's a few pockets like I don't know around the country where that there might be like a Kidditch club at one school or another or whatever, but it's not very. It's all very kind of well, I wouldn't say amateur, but it is, it is amateur, but. You know what I mean? It's not very organised and competitive. Yeah. But if we could ever find a way of kind of ramping that up and I guess standardising some rules and things, I think that's, yeah, it's quite an important step towards developing the sport. Yeah, definitely. But uh, it's harder with uh, than distance too. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe you could like get all the Kiddish teams to travel to like an international tournament. Could work with the friends on board. I mean, we did it with football at some point. Uh, maybe it also works on like the kids level yeah not too far but i think it's like easier to play your neighbor when you were like in the kids sports stage than to travel mm. a lot to be able to play yeah i i do think that's like one of the selling points of quidditch though is that like well it's because it's so small like you can go oh we, we you can go to a european championships like just like that like you don't need to play a load of teams or whatever like go up several divisions if it's football like you can just go like and you can play against sort of the very best people in the sport um yeah i think that's a at this point it's still a big selling point for quidditch yeah definitely for people who want to play competitively but we're very careful to bring it up if there's someone who doesn't have that much like sporting background or a bit like nervous then we never say like oh yeah we want to go and compete in europe because then uh, (laughs) sometimes they freak out and be like I can never be that good to go and travel and compete in Europe. And it's like, ah, well, it's not that serious. Like, you yeah. probably can <laughs> mm, Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, speaking about competing on a, a higher level, um, you're going to talk about your time with the national team. The 2016 World Cup, you were selected to play for Norway uh, in that, yeah, the World Cup in Germany, Frankfurt. Um, so, that kind of that first experience of international Quidditch, how was that for you playing at such a high level so early in your career? Uh, it was it was terrifying in the beginning. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, first, I was like very excited uh, to be able to uh, go and play. Uh, I wasn't even sure I was going to make it on the team at that point because I only played for uh, five months. Um, then I left to go on exchange, so I couldn't uh, join the national championship where they're going to do the selection or like any of the training camps uh, before going to uh, the World Cup. Uh, since I was uh, in New Zealand, so I was like way uh, too far away. Uh, but I actually like try to get a team like start up a bit there, uh, just to like uh, get some playing in and hopefully like uh, being selected to the team. And uh, yeah, I did end up uh, getting selected. I didn't like have to worry that much that I uh, did, uh, but uh, when we first came there, uh, I think like yeah, I wasn't sure like what the level was gonna be. I just knew that we were in the same group as the USA. I was like, oh my god, they're the best, and uh, I don't know like how physical they're gonna play and uh, how that's gonna go because I've only played uh, like teams in Turkey and uh, in Norway at this stage, and that's been fine. So I was like, it's probably gonna be fine. But then I watched friendly um, match between Kavala and UK. And I don't think anyone else was there, so I was just like watching it. I was like, okay, this was a friendly match, like, like let's see how that goes. And uh, everyone there had like mouth guards, and at this point, this was mandatory, and I didn't bring it. So I had like this, oh shit, 
do I need a mask or two? Like, can I get one in time before the tournament starts? Is this like really important? And even if uh, even if it was like supposed to be friendly, they took it very seriously. Like you could see both teams wanted to like win and um, get like an impression in and show that they were like the better team already there. So they were like going all out, I think, with their best players. It was kind of cloudy and like a bit of rain, I think, too. So it's like it looked so serious. And at some point, also, I think one of the Canadian female beaters got like blindsided and tired tackles. And she broke her collarbone. Yeah. And I just like, I remember like that incident very clearly. And I just like hearing her scream, I was like, oh shit, that could be me. And we were meeting like the USA. And I, uh, yeah, I was a bit worried like at that point. And like, oh, I didn't, I don't even have like a mouth guard. Like, I'm not prepared for this at all. But when we started playing, um, it went well, I think. Like, uh, the worries like went away. I was like, okay, this is like any other match that we play. We just have to like get going and uh, stay focused. And keep like having this overview and like knowing where your opponent is. So I did that a lot. Like after I watched that, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna get blindsided. Like I really have to focus on this throughout the tournament. And yeah, uh, playing the you said I think that was like our second match. Like playing against um, Germany was uh, quite nice. Uh, they had like some players uh, that I knew from before that uh, played with uh, on OSI. Uh, I knew like more of what to expect, and uh, I think at this point, uh, Germany was like running uh, three-man weave that we had also done a lot in practice, which is a bit weird today. I don't think it's like a tactic that works very well, so it was cute to see them like go from the keeper zone and doing like the three-man weave up to the midline, even if it's like yeah. the end. <laughs> I, I guess except getting like a few passes in uh, before they set up their offense. Um, and yeah, I think yeah we won two times against Germany, and then... We also faced off against the US, uh, which they were so good. I mean, we could not compete uh, with them at all. Um, but the first few minutes was like a bit more okay. Because then we had, I think, me and Amin starting. And Amin just like killed it like the first uh, minute. And we managed to like get the first goal in. I was like, oh, 10 0 to Norway. That was like, was a crazy experience. And I remember I was like, whoa, is this happening? Because before that, I'm not sure like anyone had even like scored on the US. Um, but then they went on to just like yeah, demolish us. In the end, it was like 320-10. We also learned a lot from like playing against them because their beaters were like so good. They were like so precise and like the decisions they were making were so good. Like they were playing the game in a like whole different level than we were. I think yeah, yeah, we picked up uh, quite a bit like from that match that we could uh, use later. Uh, for uh, the like yeah, European games in 2017, and yeah, I think uh, rest of the matches also like went okay. Um, we lost to Mexico and then we uh, won against uh, Spain later on, and uh, it was sort of like even matches, uh, except for like the USA match <laughs> where they mm-hmm. completely crushed us. And I think yeah. In uh, 2018, I don't like uh, see it as fondly because uh, we ended up losing all our swim matches that year, and we didn't really like uh, play any of the teams like on the highest level. I feel because uh, in our opposite group we had like Germany and Canada, which are teams I think we are evenly matched with, and 
they were very like close games with both of them. And then we ended up like meeting Kanala again. And I think that was like the last big match we had, like during that tournament. And yeah, for so that was like kinda pressing and it was like very motivating tournament. And I also like just struggle with the weather and stuff. Like yeah, I remember that's like warm also in Germany, but even worse in Italy. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, for sure. Coming from a northern country and then like uh, trying to run in like so many degrees. Because uh, <laughs> it's different. You have to like uh, save your energy a bit more than uh, when the weather is colder. I feel. And it's harder to grip the ball too. Oh yeah. You get like sweaty palms and you're like, oh no, I can't like really grip the ball anymore. Yeah, like you, you think like summer, like summer warm weather would be perfect for Quidditch, but then yeah, when you can't hold the ball because your hands are just so sweaty, it's just it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, playing in the summer is uh, great, but uh, better if it's like cloudy and around like twenty degrees, like the Norwegian summer. That's like the perfect uh, temperature to play Quidditch. <laughs> so what you're saying is we should we should have more tournaments in Norway, basically. <laughs> yeah, definitely more tournaments here. Or maybe like Ireland too, it's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue against that matter. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't mind having another reason to go to Norway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but we were way more experienced going into the 2018 uh, World Cup, I think. Um, but it was frustrating that it like didn't really pay off in any of the like close matches. Yeah, well, I guess that's the kind of thing how sport has evolved and year on year when when we've had the World Cups and the European Games and things, you see how the different countries develop and it, it does get closer and closer. The level gets higher and higher every year. And uh, yeah, it's 2018, you were kind of on the the wrong side of well, yeah, the wrong side of the result uh, in those games. Yeah, but it's like, it can always happen when it's like swim matches. It's just like Mm. I wish yeah, I had it uh, a bit better. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, I, I liked how the start there. You, you're saying how terrifying it was, kind of watching that Expo game um, before the 2016 World Cup, and sort of going, "Oh wow, like this is this is pretty serious stuff." And yeah, kind of worrying about, I guess, like the physicality and things. Um, and then playing the US, like first big international tournament. Um. Yeah, it, it's quite. It, oh, it's quite a tough, tough way to be introduced to that level of the sport. But I guess, obviously, from what you've kind of gone on to achieve after that, it's really kind of galvanised you and sort of go, okay, yeah, these players are very good. But yeah, once you got, as you said, once you got into the flow of it, like you learnt a lot from those games, and it's really, yeah, allowed you to develop from there. Yeah, and I think it was just also because it was supposed to be a friendly game. And I think the other game that was played with uh, Brazil and some other team was like, it was super friendly game. It was just like playing yeah. and having fun and just like <laughs> testing each other out a bit before like the big tournament. But the Canada UK match was like, it wasn't that friendly at all. It was like dead <laughs> serious. No, no. Well, I, I do find with Quidditch sometimes it's kind of a case of off pitch. Like, you can be like, yeah, yeah, this could be a lot of fun. And then when you're in the game, you've got like your game face on and like you're in the zone, all of a sudden, like it's not friendly at all. And, like you just you just want to go out there and win and uh, yeah. do whatever it takes to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
But uh, like the feel of the game can be very different. Like sometimes uh, it gets very heated, and you can feel like both teams are uh, like uh, getting a bit aggressive and like yelling more at the ref. And other times it's like, oh yeah, it was a like maybe a bit rough tackle, but you pull each other out and maybe like make a high five with the other opponent, and you're like, oh, it's all good. So it's, it can be a very different vibe to the game, and I definitely prefer the more friendly ones, where you mm. not like, oh, this is dead serious, because then it also feels worse to lose. I think too. If you had like a friendly tone throughout the match, it's more okay. Yeah, it's sad as a loss, but if it's been like becoming really aggressive, it's more like, oh, this is our enemy, and we yeah. lost to the enemy. <laughs> yeah, that kind of like tribalism you get, sort of in the, in those matches. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned there how how perfect Norwegian summer is. So we're going to talk about the summer of 2017, which is when. Norway were the host team at the 2017 European Games in Oslo. So home turf for yourself, uh, where Norway did very well and got the bronze medal, uh, the second bronze medal in a row at the European Games. So what was it like playing in a home tournament like this? And what did you make of Norway's performance in it? It was amazing to play on home turf. And also uh, that it went so well. And I think uh, for me personally, it's like one of uh, my best tournaments. Uh, also with like everything lining up very well. Like we trained so hard uh, before uh, the European Games in Oslo. We had like so many training camps in Oslo and we were like really working hard. I even like cut alcohol like two months before the um, tournament. So I was like uh, really like working on getting good shape to be able to do as good as possible. And uh, I think yeah, the or like the group stage thing was uh, very challenging uh, but it was also very rewarding because we met like all the best teams and could like uh, see how we did uh, against them from like the group stage already but it also meant that every single match was like super tough and I just like remember running like crazy all around like all the time uh, but it also felt good because the weather was like cooler it was easier to like uh, keep up the high speed and not become like uh, dehydrated and sweating like too much and we also got a bit of rain, uh, which is also like something I like sometimes because uh, it makes it more challenging for everyone to play. And if you have more experience with it, uh, you have like the edge in those games. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it was fun that we were able to also like play evenly uh, with so many of the teams, except like France. Somehow like France just like crushed up the group stage. But uh, the matches with against like UK and Belgium felt like very even. And then being able to like also medal uh, in a tournament in Oslo was like super, like really really good tournament for us. Mhm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a great achievement. So as you mentioned, like Norway is quite a small nation, um, so to achieve that um, and kind of as the host nation is really special. You, you mentioned there sort of the the amount of training that you did, and obviously. Like quitting alcohol for a bit and kind of really taking it seriously. Like, did you feel, I guess, like a pressure as a home as a home nation, kind of competing in this European Games as opposed to say, I don't know, a World Cup in Germany or? Yeah, there was so much like fun with that game. I think it's also fun to see like uh, after uh, 2018, uh, they didn't use Etienne as like their starting beater, which uh, they had in uh, 2018, and then he would like also run after me to be able to like, get me on the broomstick. Uh, but in 2018, he lost with like one meter, uh, hmm. and I got like, yeah, and we got the budge control and could like run the offense. 
So I think uh, in yeah when we faced them in 2019, uh, they put on like the two fastest players. I think it was like Andy and some other guy. And yep. uh, they still couldn't like uh, get the both Dodgers in that situation. I think yeah, that was also like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think about it kind of as a as a narrative. Obviously, like France and Norway have played each other quite a few times over the years. And there's been a few times where like Norway have been quite close, but not quite got the job done. And obviously got over the line this time. And I think, obviously, with France, like, like if you see, I don't know, the Titans play or you play against them enough times, like, you know what to expect. Like, there's there's not too much that's ever going to change. They're going to be fast. They're going to be physical. Like, they're going to absolutely sort of burn you um, in terms of fitness and athleticism. But the thing, I guess, with Norway, as you mentioned, there's like this high turnover of international players. It's kind of a case of you're not really sure like what Norway team is going to turn up, essentially. Um, there'll obviously be sort of people like yourself who are there year in, year out. But there'll be, I don't know, this really good international student who's been in like the country for a year. And they bring their like, own flavour to the team. I think that's quite quite interesting as a whole. Um, from, I guess, sort of a game, sort of strategic point of view. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's been challenging that it's like changing from year to year. Uh, well, we'll see now. I think it's like the Norwegian base is like growing again. Uh, then someone, someone like drops out. So maybe like, yeah, it's, it's like ever changing. Mm. But, and also like some of the international players that we have are also people who have like stayed for a long time. So uh, there's like a big part of the national team. It's like Lisa and uh, Jacob who are like Germans, but they played for the national team for so many years now. So that's also good for like keeping some kind of consistency. We'll see how it goes for the next uh, European games. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. If people listen to this, maybe they'll uh, learn a, a thing or two about taking on the French and uh, yeah. <laughs> Sort of challenge them at the very top. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> um, so yeah, we kind of mentioned the um, kind of the way the Norway team has been composed over the years. Um, obviously, you kind of have players that come and go, and obviously, as a small country, you don't have a huge player base to pick from. Um, but Norway have consistently competed well, like with other big Quidditch nations who have a lot more players to choose from. So what do you think it is that allows Norway to like a punch above their weight like this and kind of how, how do you sort of defy the odds to to compete at this level? I think yeah, part of it is that we had the consistency in our beta core. I mean, the beta core hasn't changed that much, uh, I think, uh, throughout the years, uh, which means that... Uh, like yeah, we could develop a lot of tactics around that, and also a lot of like chemistry between the Norwegian beaters, uh, because we know each other like very well and have played and like yeah, developed a lot of like new beater tactics between us. Um, and I also think like that's a harder position to learn from scratch. So the times that we've like yeah, been able to punch power weight, it's also that we like have recruited a lot of like very athletic uh, international students. That could come in uh, as uh, chasers and keepers uh, on the team, which is I think it's a bit easier to get quickly and to like uh, uh, yeah. get uh, get on a higher level than uh, with the beating today. 
because there's like so many like small rules and uh, tactics around beating and things to learn. Uh, it usually goes a bit quicker with the uh, chasing and uh, keeper, at least until like a certain level. Uh, and just like yeah, in 2017 you had like the amazing NTI team where they get like so many super strong uh, international students that they managed to like train up for uh, six months. And to have them uh, on home turf in European games was like really important for us. Then, yeah, having the consistency with the uh, beaters. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, that's a big kind of component of the Quidditch team is having like that consistency in your beta core. As you said, because like the learning curve with the position is so much greater than as like a keeper or a chaser. Because obviously it's it's so unique to the sport. Like we say, it's like dodgeball, but it's only like dodgeball to a certain extent. Um, so trying to teach people those instincts, and obviously, I mean, the rule book changes every like one two years. Like trying to keep on top of how the new rules are coming in and the little loopholes you can sort of exploit, and uh, all the little rules you have to learn as a beater. Um, yeah, it makes it quite hard for newer players to pick it up. Because you can get like very athletic people in and they're really good at like the blocking or dodging and shooting. But it's also about like knowing when you're supposed to shoot and who you are supposed to shoot and when you're supposed to claim immunity and like yeah, uh, when you could just like pass the ball to your team. It's like there's so many like small nuances in the beating that are hard to get across uh, or at least like yeah, five, six months if you're trying to like train up someone new for a tournament. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so talking about beating more generally um i figured seeing as we got you on uh on the pod we might as well go in some deep levels here and uh really talk about the, the art that is beating um so how, how, how do you pro- approach beating and i guess quidditch as a whole sort of what key concepts influence the way that you play the game um for me personally i will look kind of like uh what style all the beats have too uh, and try to see how it matches up with my style. I think my style is uh, using my speed as an advantage. So I will move my feet a lot. Like sometimes you have uh, more of like a stationary beater, which can also be good. They use like their sniper shot to find the right moment and like the right player to shoot, and then they just like fire off and they have like a crazy accuracy. And um, my accuracy for long shot is a bit like on and off, so I prefer to make like the shot safer by using my feet to getting closer and make the beat. I think that's also an advantage because it makes it easier for me to get first to the ball after I shot if I have like a pawn feeders around. But I also value like yeah, uh, working with my beta partner and, and that we're kind of like equal on the pitch. So I like when we do uh, the left um, right beating instead of the front back. When I started out, we did like yeah, mostly front back beating. Uh, we have like the gauge beater in front, the one good at dueling, and the back beater focuses on. Um, the quaffle, especially if there comes like a pass in the back. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's more fun when we move to the left right, uh, since we had like uh, beaters on both sides who could like take the duels. And it gives an op- a lot of opportunity to like um, try to blindside the opponent. Like yeah, one uh, side pushes out if they go on one side um, and try to like yeah, get out of their side view. I also like try to work on that a lot. Like it's good if the opponent can't see me. So I rather take like a big arch behind, so that they don't remember that I'm there anymore. Which is annoying if then people like call out. So it's uh, the always yeah. people like, oh no, the beater is behind you, or oh, Messi is behind you. Watch out! It's like, oh no, don't tell them that. I don't want them to know. 
Don, you're in the surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really like to take uh, advantage of like having a good overview and uh, beaters who don't have a good overview, and try to like beat them where they can't see me. Because I think that's how you're gonna like win most duels. Like sometimes, like head to head, you can also win, but I think it can become more of a fifty-fifty at least for me. Because um, my head-on dueling skills is not like the strongest. Um, like yeah, I might shoot into someone's block, or maybe they're like able to catch unless I get like really close in. Uh, but if I get too close in, then we're both beat out. So I rather like shoot them when they're not paying attention at all, and like look for that window uh, mm. when they're uh, looking like at something else. That's like the best time I think to shoot the other beater. And then, yeah, uh, for us, we also focused a lot on like having one blood tree in defense, I think, and trying to keep that alive for as long as possible. So now we've been like quite on top, like when it comes to doing resets, that's also like a very important part of how I play. Like you don't have to take all the duels. You just have to make sure that you have the ball the most. So by doing a reset, I might like win the duel because they ball, their ball might like fly up somewhere you don't know, and I know where my ball is going to be, and then I can be ready to cover the space behind the hoops if they make a pass back there. And my beta partner, if they have blizzard, they can like step out and go pressure. So uh, I think that's worked out like, well for uh, as a tactic for me. And uh, yeah, so I, I have also like uh, learned a lot from like other beaters. Like uh, I remember like seeing Lucy doing like a lot of like sneaking up on the side, and then like blind sighting like both the chase and beaters on the other team. I was like. Why is no one seeing her? Like, she's right there. She's like the <laughs> perfect beater to attack now. Like, someone should just, like, attack her. And I was Especially like, oh. with Lucy. Like, she's so tall. Like, you can't miss her. But she still manages yeah. to do it. Yeah. But I think <laughs> the trick is, like, you just, like, walk slowly up. Like, you're not going to do anything. Like, you're, like, you show everyone, like, I'm not a threat. I'm just, like, walking slowly up. And then they won't really pay attention. Because a lot of people only focus on, uh, like, high speed. If someone is, like, coming at you fast. The uh, rest of the time, they might be like looking at different places of the pitch. They don't do the count. I think that's also very important for me. I was like, okay, where are the two beaters? And if I if there's like one beater I can't see, I just like I have to scan the whole pitch to be able to like yeah, see both of them, which is something uh, a lot of like new beaters don't do. They just like focus straight ahead and don't realize like the opponent beater to be like somewhere else on the pitch. So you always like have to keep count of where they are. Mhm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's great. Great in-depth answer that. Yeah. And, uh, I think from just like watching you play, it all sounds yeah, kind of how I it, how I sort of describe the way that you play Quidditch. And um, yeah, I think sort of your style of beating is quite interesting to watch because you get a lot of these beaters kind of yeah, they dominate the space and kind of their positioning is really important. Um, and like when you watch, especially like a lot of high-level games, there's kind of like these moments where you have like a Mexican standoff where nobody's throwing and they're kind of drawing each other out and sort of seeing who blinks first. But you're just like all action, like force the other team into, I don't know, a, a position they're uncomfortable with, sort of make them think, make them make mistakes. Um, that, yeah, I think obviously it's quite physically demanding, but you manage to sort of keep up with, with your teammates and perform it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's quite interesting as a whole. Yeah, it's uh, definitely like a fun part of it, like the beater standoff. When you're like, yeah, know each other so well and you have like so much respect for each other that you're just like standing there kind of faking, like kind of waiting for your window. And then the moment you see their beat on their back foot, like that's when you go in and uh, take the shot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so kind of with, with the way that you play Quidditch, like sort of a lot of kind of engaged beating, um, and you're not afraid to really get in the face of oppositions and force turnovers and put a lot of people under pressure. Um, so kind of how have you developed this game over time? Is it purely just been the case of watching other beaters that you like? Or, yeah, how, how have you developed your game in that respect? I think it's definitely like uh, watching uh, other players uh, like play and just like seeing them go in and do stuff. Uh, but also just not, not being afraid to try it. Like I'm not afraid that I'm going to fail or like lose grudges or uh, all of these kind of things. I just like try to find my window and like try the duel to see if it works or not and not be like afraid to make a mistake in it. Um, and then if I lose like uh, some of the duels, that's fine because I'm still learning from it and like testing out my opponents. And I think we gain a lot more by like using um, uh, our beaters more evenly so that the other team don't always know like, oh, it's only going to be this one beater that's going to duel us. Like the other beater is always going to like stay really far back. I mean, I think the most extreme when the beating started in Norway is like leaving one beater all the way on the hoop. And you just bring one beater up in offense. And that's like, that's crazy because then you don't really, really utilize uh, all of your beaters or the fact that you have like bludgeon control. And uh, yeah, I think I've also been like lucky with the teams I played on that uh, it's like I've always like been encouraged to just go out and shoot and just like, play the way I play. And never been told like, oh, I have to give my ball to the male beater. Like um, that hasn't really been a like big thing for me. Um, and usually like I won't give it either. I think most <laughs> of the time. Unless I'm like feeling like yeah, what I'm doing is not working at all, and I just like uh, want to like try to do something else, then I might give the bludger. But the rest of the time, like uh, I will bring it up uh, if we're trying to regain bludger control. If I had it first, like it's uh, depending on like who threw away their bludger. I think it's a bit like oh, but you threw away the, your bludger, so I'm just gonna keep mine. <laughs> it goes a bit like both ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that how you've essentially been promoted by your teammates to kind of just play your game and yeah, kind of having that confidence that, oh, my team's got my back, like whatever I do, like they're going to support me no matter what. Yeah, I think because we're, we're beating it can get so sort of technical as we, as we mentioned and obviously when you're kind of dueling with other beaters, how like, psychological you can get as well. Um, so yeah, kind of having that mental edge that that backing from your teammates is yeah definitely an advantage to have yeah. and yeah it also really helped that we switched over to like uh left right beating uh, stuff when we were in defense because then you don't really know who the engaged beater is going to be like it's or it's going to be like the beater who has like the best chance of taking the shot but it's not like decided beforehand it depends on like what side the opponent is going to go on uh, which i think is like a good way to move forward especially when you have like even beaters Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's good, good to talk about. Hopefully, any beaters listening will, uh, yeah, certainly take some uh, useful information from that. Um, I guess, kind of talking about you as a player as a whole. Um, obviously, you played for quite a while now, and kind of over time, surely, slowly but surely, you've become one of the big household names in European Quidditch. So I guess, like World Quidditch now as well. So, kind of, at what point did you realize you were not only one of Norway's best beaters, but also one of the best beaters in Europe and well, in the world as well? Oh, uh, 
I'm not sure about the world. They have so many really great uh, videos in the US. Um, I think I like started to realize a bit more in 2017. Um, also, as I could like stand more on my own, uh, I traveled more to like fancy tournaments too. Um, played like on Valentine's Cup and um, with the team in 2017, we also went to the Battle Royale, which uh, was also the first time I played uh, without. Uh, like one of my regular beta partners. So suddenly like I was the most experienced beater uh, on the team for that tournament. So it uh, felt good to be able to like go into a different kind of role and like taking even more charge on the pitch and like trying to uh, teach someone else like, okay, this is how what you should do and this is how you should go in and still being able to do quite well against like high level beaters, I think. And uh, seeing like, okay, they might be good, but uh, I can like keep this up. It's like, it's fine. I think, yeah, 2017 was uh, the year I realized that uh, you just, like, got to go out there and do your best, and then you will be able to, like, uh, beat even, like, the top uh, beaters. Mm -hmm. And, like, how, how does that sort of sit with you, sort of? Do you feel, like, now that people know who you are and, like, maybe they, I don't know, they might target you in a game or they might watch some film, like, this is how meta plays, like... Do you feel that pressure or do you, do you embrace it? Do you like the fact that people know who you are? I think it's a bit up and down. It depends. Uh, it can be like stressful when it like ruins my tactics. Yeah. <laughs> These times I've seen like some UK teams do it. Like, I think both like Unspeakables uh, and Escocia something where they like, call out where I am at all times. Instead of like underestimating me, they're like, okay, pay attention. She's here. She's always here. Which makes it like uh, harder to play my game or like just like sneak in. Um, it's also, uh, also like fun to see because it makes it more challenging. It's like a bit of both, probably. Mm -hmm. And yeah, as we mentioned kind of at the top of the show, um, so you, you were selected in the eighth man all time fancy fancy draft on the teams there. And then also you were the first overall pick in the total Quidditch. European version of the Fancy Fancy draft. Um, I always find it really weird saying that. I'll be honest. Um, that, how did it feel to be selected um, both in, well, I guess, the eighth man one and also first overall in the European uh, draft? Sort of, yeah. What What was that like? <laughs> I think the most fun is just like imagining playing on the team. I think not necessarily like where you picked. But just like yeah, thinking about being able to play with all these other great players, and uh, I'm really sad that like it's not a uh, really like fancy tournament because it would so cool to see uh, these teams play, especially like the European ones. I think uh, if that could have happened, and to be able to like uh, play with uh, Etienne and uh, Carmineta for a tournament, uh, like Feikert and uh, like the uh, the other great players that were like picked for the team. It would have been like so much fun. Um, but, like the thought is also like yeah, interesting. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was like a fun thing to watch and follow during uh, the pandemic. And, like lighting the mood and making you like really miss playing, and especially like playing fancy tournaments where you get to like play with completely different players and see how it works out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's well, it's a very interesting concept as a whole, um, and kind of bringing back a few retired faces um, and kind of have them at their very best. And obviously, yeah, kind of having partnerships and like 
sort of lineups of players that, well, normally like they wouldn't like, wouldn't really have a chance of playing together, and sort of imagining sort of how, how would that look, and sort of never, obviously not being able to see it ever, fortunately. Um, if we ever had a bit of money, that'd be great to actually see those teams play. I'd, I'd love to see that happen. Yeah, but, but uh, it's such a great sort of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's kind of the fun thing to see in like fancy tournaments when uh, you have you get like these kind of mashups. Remember after mm. twenty seventeen was like the quid camp. Um, I uh, like where the GM um one of the teams, uh, the fancy teams that played. Uh, and like getting to pick like yeah, all the uh, great players that like participated was like so much fun and trying to like get combinations. I think I picked like Leon and Edgem as my, my uh, first uh, two players, and like watching them actually like play together uh, in real life was like so much fun to see. They were like yeah, it worked out really well from the beginning. So uh, it's always fun when you can see that in like fancy tournaments, like these kind of mashups of uh, different player combinations that you haven't really seen before because they play for different countries or different teams, and then. In a fancy tournament, you can like see how it works and plays off. Yeah, it's, it's such a novelty with Quidditch, isn't it? Like, I think of it as like, I don't know, play like a video game or something. We play like FIFA or NBA 2K or like Madden NFL. Um, and you can kind of move players around and create these teams. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those, one of the many unique aspects of Quidditch that makes it really exciting and yeah, great to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to kind of wrap up this main section of the episode, um, we mentioned it briefly already, um, but recently you've joined Saga IF Quidditch, um, which is a new community team in Oslo that's been around since 2018, 2019. Um, they've had like a season, uh, and a bit before, uh, the pandemic set in, um, and then now you join the team. So what are you looking forward to doing with Sargana once you return to playing? And I guess more generally, what ambitions do you have as a player once you get back to playing again? Well, we are we are back to practicing normally. So uh, that's a lot of fun. And the first tournament is going to be 15th of October at the National Championship, which is also going to decide the XSA spots. Um, and I think like switching over from OSI, part of my motivation was like, um, to bring something uh, more to Sagna. I knew they were like lacking in uh, beaters and um, maybe like especially like female beaters. Well, I think like Osai was like doing fine and uh, I might have like taken up um, more of the spacer and might not have given like the new female beaters that much opportunity to like play all parts of the game. So I think it was like a good time to move over and uh, I signed up to like be uh, responsible for recruitment. Because I'm not really a student anymore, so, but uh, I thought it would be like challenging to try and do recruitment for a community, where you have to like find the new and different channels. And uh, uh, the other Sagna players has also been like really good at like bringing some friends along. So now it's like starting like we can get a proper team together for the national championship. Uh, I really hope that uh, it's gonna go well and uh, that we will get the team to play nicely together with all the new concepts coming in. Um, hopefully, like you get an ICC spot, that would be great. So it's a bit sad that like yeah, Norway now only have two spots instead of uh, three that we had earlier. So it also makes sense because we're such a like small uh, nation. 
uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, work uh, hard towards uh, the national championship, and uh, hopefully, uh, all our players will be ready for that type. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting to kind of have something to work towards again. Um, I think that's what, like for me personally, I found that quite difficult because obviously with Quidditch sort of kind of being a big part of my life, it was always kind of a case of, oh, what's next? Uh, like I, I base, I don't know, my workouts and I guess I guess my calendar around when the tournaments were. So like, okay, cool, we've got regionals here and then there's going to be nationals at this time and yeah, like you have this real structure to your year, and then suddenly not have that is quite difficult. So to suddenly have that once more, and as you as you mentioned, if with this October tournament sort of being the national championship again, and having essentially sort of three teams kind of competing for two spots, I think that's going to be quite exciting to see how that turns out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to it, and to finally be able to like yeah compete again. And playing matches for real, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and very interesting to see how it goes. And especially like also playing with the new team, and uh, that I know is like more focused on passing too. I think that's also going to be like interesting to see how like the chases are going to work with us as speeders, and if we manage like get it all together before and uh, because it's always coming in too quickly, and it never feels like we have enough time to like train all the new recruits. But uh, hopefully, we'll get them through the tournament. Yeah, you you mentioned there that you sort of take it upon yourself to do some recruitment and kind of be in charge of that. And uh, one thing that's quite interesting with Sagana as a Quidditch team, it's not just a team by itself; it's part of a bigger sports club, isn't it? So, first, I think that's like fantastic to have that link and to be recognised like that. Have you ever considered, I don't know, turning up to another sports team like within the club and trying to? convince a few people to convert across and play some Quidditch? Has that ever crossed your mind? Well, it's uh, crossed the mind of uh, Martin and Elisabeth and Reiner, I think, who uh, plays on the team. So they tried, like, recruiting uh, in a bit of, like, the other sports, like, trying to get someone from rugby or uh, Australian football. And Martin actually made, like, one of the guys from Australian football show up to uh, Quidditch. He was like, oh, yeah, sure, I can, I can try this. Uh, but he hasn't like uh, showed up since. I think uh, I think he got a kid and then uh, got like too busy. So it's yeah. like the challenge when you <laughs> different parties. Yeah, <laughs> they like start like making families or they move away for work or they're just like not enough time to be able to like prioritize Quidditch. That's why like yeah, we have two practices a week, but it's uh, it's hard to get everyone to like show up for those two practices because there's so much else happening with work and everything in people's lives. Um, but we still get like some practices. In. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Maybe uh, we can get the other players too at some point, but uh, we haven't been that lucky yet with recruiting from uh, rugby <laughs> or uh, Australian football. Not yet, not yet. I've I've seen like a few teams where they'll like I guess have like an exchange of sorts where they might find like another sports team and go, okay, we'll come to one of your training sessions if you come to one of ours. And sort of see who crosses the divide and who who you gain and who you lose. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's quite an interesting idea. Because obviously, you said like with Quidditch, like playing another sport is only going to make you better at Quidditch, right? So, yeah, trying something out, applying yourself in that manner, like it, it's it's a win-win, really. Yeah, if you find the time, I think yeah, because we had Martin like joining the Australian football. 
Now he has like managed his time between Quidditch and Australian football, and uh, Ragnar joined like the rugby team, and then she had like to manage it there too. So maybe like yeah, maybe we'll lose some players too at some point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sp- spread the word. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're gonna go on to the mailbag questions now. Um, so you've been sent in to the page or been in the comment section. Uh, yeah, on our Facebook page. So thanks to everyone who's sent these questions in. Um, we're going to start off with a fun one, because I like starting with a fun one. Um, this one's from Kai Shaw. He'd like to know, as a veteran of the Norwegian meme wars, what are your favourite memories, both good and bad? I think the favourite is when uh, one of our newer recruits like joined the meme war for full. And he made like a full video with like uh, Lord of the Rings with like uh, names over everyone on the team. Uh, but then he was a bit stressed before uh, the meme was, was beginning because the meme was centered around Jürgen posting the first meme. So he was like, Jürgen, you need to post the first meme. You need to start the meme more. <laughs> or else like his meme would be useless. And Jürgen did like yeah, eventually like yeah, begin the meme war that year. And then he got like to pass the full like Lord of the Rings uh, movie thing. I think that that's one of my favorite memories from the meme war, and uh, the worst is probably all the repost. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, disappointing. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. We, we we should probably explain like what what the meme war is because I don't think many people, uh, certainly outside of the the Facebook group, know. <laughs> oh, that's true. I don't even know how it started. But uh, before, like, uh, every big tournament at some point, maybe it was, like, 2017, uh, someone would, like, post a meme, uh, like, dissing the other team, or, like, with some printed banter, like, oh, you can't pass for shit. <laughs> and, yeah, then, of course, like, yeah, we would respond, and uh, suddenly, like, the meme war had started, and it just became, like, a tradition before every single tournament we have in Norway, like, um, uh, that uh, you would, like, start posting uh, memes. And trust talk the other team to get it like all out there before we actually started to play. I think <laughs> we said like uh, we keep it friendly during when we play, but uh, before you can like go wild uh, in the meme war. And it's ha- it's happening on Facebook in a group called the Rumpunuk Norge. So if you want to like uh, check out the next meme war, you should like join our group. We have like people <laughs> from all over Europe joining Rumpunuk Norge just for like the meme war. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um... I'm not ashamed to say I'm one of those people who I only joined the group because I heard about this meme war and I kind of had to see for myself what was going on. Uh, yeah, kind of adds that whole, I guess, like sibling rivalry you talked about earlier. And uh, yeah, kind of having a bit of sort of friendly, kind of friendly trash talk beforehand. And then, yeah, sort of playing out the games and then using what happened in those games to fuel the next war. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, this next question. Uh, who's your biggest rival as a player? As a player? Uh, that's, a, that's a tougher one. Mm. Uh, I think it could be like several people because I'm just like very competitive. And uh, yeah, I think maybe like Stein, Murden and Kai. Like yeah, kind of people I like com- compete a lot against. Not just like uh, in Quidditch uh, with like uh, playing, but also just like in other sports. Like uh, with Kai, uh, we have this like stair competition where it's like uh, first one to get up the stairs. 
and uh, we had to like make a lot of rules too because it was like getting a bit out of hand to get there first. <laughs> it was like never down the stairs, and it has to be more than three steps, and it has to be a direction that we we're walking in. But other than that, you can like try to like push the other person aside, or you can like block up the space, and then you should like first want to get to the top of the stairs. It can be a bit tiring, but also like a lot of fun when you're like traveling around. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Kind of having that, yeah, competitiveness within the team. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite glad that I don't have to charge you to a, a race at the stairs. <laughs> sort of r- randomly. As, uh, uh, next, going around. next tournament. Next tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring it, bring it on. Um, how good are your flunky ball skills? Ah, they're some of the best. <laughs> not quite, though. I think I'm very strong in the throwing. Uh, in OSI, we used to do a lot of like flunkable matches, chasers versus beaters. And the main takeaway from those matches are the chasers are way better than us at drinking, but they can't hit for shit. So we <laughs> always end up winning. <laughs> I think my accuracy on flunkable is like quite high, so I'll get the bottle down enough time to be able to like finish my bowl. Uh, but I drink it slowly, so it's like maybe like eight throws or seven throws. <laughs> uh-huh. Not one to mess with then. Uh, yeah, for, for for context, funky balls a, a drinking game. It's it's not a sport. <laughs> um, oh. but there's a certain amount of athleticism, hand-eye coordination skills in there, and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> a good combination. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely love to play at some point. Uh, oh, you haven't tried it? I haven't. No, I, I oh, think wow. I, I think I'd be very good at the drinking bit. Not so good at the actual yeah the throwing bit. <laughs> That like classical chaser. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty good at drinking. <laughs> oh, that's good, yeah. yeah. Usually, like happening at the end of some tournaments, you just like have to find the uh, some Germans or Norwegians and then challenge, and uh, then you'll get to play your first flunkable match. Yeah, for sure. I I I do really want to make this happen. <laughs> so yeah, it's one of, one of my ambitions in Gwidditch still. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely. Um. So if you could choose a beta you haven't played with yet to be your beta partner, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think I'd really like to try playing with uh, Luke Derrick from uh, the Australian uh, team. I think it'd uh, be very interesting and like uh, very fast-paced, which uh, would be fun to try. Uh, yeah, maybe also like yeah, Halle Pacer and some of the female uh, beaters in the US. I think uh, Leanne Dillman too is like also a great beater. Which it would have been fun to like try in the double female set. Yeah, for sure. I think that'd be, uh, yeah, I'd like to see that happen. <laughs> see what, what chaos would ensue. <laughs> awesome. Um, this question from Jacob here. So, which other beaters do you hate and love the most? In brackets, different people, I hope. <laughs> uh, I think uh, the ones I love the most is uh, like the one I play with the most. Um, they're probably uh, like Merlin. I think we work like uh, very well together. And I don't know. Like playing against. I think it's like tough playing against like very uh, physical beaters from time to time. Um, it keeps me like sometimes it's good because it keeps me more on the toes, but it also like it creates a certain kind of worry that like I have to stay out of their range, which um, can be like stressful in games. 
I feel like I have a bit higher pulse before we meet, like really physical beauty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely kind of brings a different dimension to the position, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of things that are difficult, uh, there's a question here from Jay Holmes. I'd like to know which is the hardest club team and which is the hardest country that you face and why? Country is easy one. That's like the USA. That's like easily the most uh, challenging uh, game I've ever played and we got crushed so hard. I think for a club team, it's a bit more difficult because uh, I haven't really, I've never played against uh, Antwerp or Titans uh, EQC uh, or like uh, Raptors or like uh, Rose, I think, for that uh, sake either. I think, yeah, uh, I think the toughest like uh, club team match that I had is maybe like XPC uh, at Battle Royale. Um, Anjit was just like on fire for that match and like blocking everything and uh, I really struggled to work together with my beta partner for uh, that match uh, and I was like hung over too so it's like that was a really <laughs> tough team to meet at the time yeah for sure it's, it's a lot of fun playing that game so I got fond memories of it I got concussed in the next one so I kind of oh. yeah enjoyed that one game I had that day <laughs> yeah I was like, yeah, uh, you're uh, one really good victory to end uh, yeah, the tournament with for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, uh, they went on to play like Antwerp in range, didn't they? Well, we, we beat Antwerp on day one, which yeah. uh, I always remind people about. Louis hates it. He doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> like me talking about it. Um, and then yeah, play raps in the final, which I had to watch. I'm like, oh, I want to play, but <laughs> I really shouldn't. <laughs> so the day two offensive tournaments where you have drinking uh, on the Saturday are always like so tough. Yeah, trying to pick yourself back up Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and trying not to get locked into uh, bathrooms, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, so we've got a final question here. Um, yeah, quite a good note to finish on. Uh, so, what would you say is your greatest achievement in Quidditch? Maybe like the bronze medal at the uh, EG at home turf in Oslo. I mean, uh, that was a great year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, as you, as you mentioned, 2017 being such a key year for you in sort of leveling up your game and sort of getting that external recognition. So, yeah, definitely a, a fond memory, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, but yeah, Metal has been absolutely fantastic to hear about the way like you approach the game and yeah, just to get your perspective on things. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been uh, a lot of fun and also like uh, getting some perspective on the round net too. <laughs> so for maybe sure, for we will sure. uh, face up against each other on the next uh, Quidditch tournament in round net too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd love to have a game. It was, uh, yeah. Always fun to do so, and also always interesting to see like out the Quidditch players who are good roundup players as well. So yeah, we'll we'll make that happen. <laughs> yes, look forward to it. Awesome. Um, we hope you, the listeners, have enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Total Quidditch podcast, please give the Total Quidditch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there, and of course, giving you a chance to send in more of your mailbag questions to our guests. So. Until next time, keep yourselves safe and live the game. Goodbye.